Hello everyone, this is Vartok again, your guest podcaster for the Treks and Sci-Fi Podcast, episode number 419, on January 13, 2013. Well, I hope everyone's New Year is starting well for all the listeners of the podcast. For today's Treks and Sci-Fi guest podcast, I'm going to talk about one of my very, very favorite composers. And if you guessed it to be Jerry Goldsmith, then you are right. That intro music is from the 1964 TV series, The Man from UNCLE, one of its most recognizable early theme songs. Now, some of the more dedicated Trek to Sci-Fi listeners may remember that I provided a short five-and-a-half-minute music tribute to Jerry Goldsmith in episode number 146 back in 2007. But that one just did not do justice to one of the all-time greats, And I feel now that I am having resolution by doing this full podcast. Well, let's not delay. Let's get right into it. Jerry Goldsmith, an American conductor and composer, created scores for such noteworthy films as The Sand Pebbles, Planet of the Apes, Patton, Chinatown, The Wind and the Lion, The Omen, The Boys from Brazil, Night Crossing, Alien, Poltergeist, the Secret of Nim, Gremlins, Hoosiers, Total Recall, Basic Instinct, Rudy, Air Force One, L.A. Confidential, Mulan, The Mummy, three Rambo films, and of great interest to the trust and sci-fi audience, five Star Trek films. Yes, that Jerry Goldsmith. As long as that list is that I just read, it is nothing compared to his total output. The man was prodigious with 250 listings in the IMDb. He was active from 1951 through his death from colon cancer in 2004, or for 53 years. So you heard me mention some of his most famous film scores, but Jerry is also well known for scoring for television as well as you will hear later in this podcast. Very few people in any field can claim so much productive work in their lifetime. But let's back up and start at the beginning. Gerald King Goldsmith was born in Los Angeles, California on February 10, 1929 to Tessa and Morris Goldsmith, a structural engineer. His mother is said to have preferred he be called Gerald. J-E-R-R-A-L-D, and some early credits show that first name. However, as we know, he much preferred Jerry. Religiously and culturally, he was Jewish, which might explain why he started piano lessons at the tender age of six. He later became serious about his piano by age 11, and by age 13, he was studying privately with Polish legendary concert pianist and educator Jakob Gimpel, whom he later hired to play piano solos in the film The Mephisto Waltz in 1971. By age 14, Jerry was studying both theory and counterpoint under Italian composer Mario Castelnuovo Tedesco, who also tutored composers and musicians such as Henry Mancini, Nelson Riddle, Herman Stein, Andre Previn, Marty Page, and John Williams, a pretty impressive group of students. 
At the age of 16, in 1945, Jerry had an aha moment, and he decided to pursue a career in film music when he saw the movie Spellbound in the theater. And he was inspired by the soundtrack by veteran composer Miklos Rosa. How did your, your career as a film composer come about? Well, I studied music starting at the age of six, and I guess around 12, I knew I wanted to be a composer. And I was 14, and I went to the movies, and I fell in love with the two things in the movie. The star, who was Ingrid Bergman, I was going to marry her. And the music, which was by Nicholas Rocha, the picture was spellbound. I said I had to be a... That's what I was going to do. I was going to write music for movies. A funny side story is that Jerry later joked about planning to marry Ingrid Bergman and having a career in composing music for film, saying that, well, one out of two wasn't bad. Goldsmith later enrolled and attended the University of Southern California, where he was able to attend courses by Rosa. But he dropped out in favor of, quote, a more practical music program at the Los Angeles City College. There, he was able to coach singers, work as an assistant choral director, play piano accompaniment, and work as an assistant conductor. Jerry's television career started in 1950 at the bottom, as a clerk in the music department at CBS. In an interview, Jerry noted, CBS had a workshop, and once a week, the employees, whatever their talents, whether they were ushers or typists, would produce a radio show but you had to be an employee. They needed someone to do music, and I knew someone there who said I'd be great for this. I'd just gotten married and needed a job, so they faked the typing test for me. Then I could do these shows. About six months later, the music department heard what I did, liked it, and gave me a job. There he began writing scores for such radio shows as CBS Radio Workshop, Frontier Gentleman, Romance, Perry Mason, Have Gun, Will Travel, GE True Theater, Rawhide, and Wagon Train. He later progressed into scoring live CBS television shows such as Climax and Playhouse 90. He also scored multiple episodes of the hit television series Twilight Zone, whose theme song, I should point out, was by Bernard Herrmann. Sherry's first feature film score was for the 1957 western Black Patch. Here's a bit of the earliest piece of music I could find for Jerry from a 1959 western called Face of a Fugitive, in monophonic, of course. By now he was composing for both film and television.
Also important to us science fiction fans, Jerry composed music for his first science fiction film, City of Fear, in 1959. After 10 years of CBS composing during the golden age of television, where he scored an episode a week for live broadcast for many years, he moved to Review Studios, which later became Universal Pictures. After this period, he was now primarily composing for feature films and occasional TV movies, and with a very occasional TV series episode. His first major film score was for the 1962 western Lonely Are the Brave, where he finally began receiving widespread name recognition. His big break came when famous veteran composer Alfred Newman recommended Jerry to the head of Universal Pictures' music department after hearing his score for the TV series Thriller. It wasn't long before Jerry received his first Academy Award Best Score nomination for his score to Freud in 1962. But he lost out to Maurice Jarre for Lawrence of Arabia. Thus would begin a long history of Academy Award nominations throughout the rest of his career, 18 in total from 1962 through 1998, for which he only won once. But I'll get to that later. In 1964, Jerry composed the score to the political thriller Seven Days in May, starring Burt Lancaster and Kirk Douglas, about U.S. military leaders plotting to overthrow the president because he supports a nuclear disarmament treaty and they fear a surprise Soviet sneak attack. Also in 1964, Jerry composed a score for yet another western, Rio Conchos. Listen here.
1965, Jerry composed scores for a total of five movies. He composed a score for the sci-fi thriller The Satan Bug, about a germ warfare lab where a germ gets free and kills scientists. He also composed a score for the epic war film In Harm's Way, starring John Wayne and Kirk Douglas, directed by Otto Preminger, about a naval officer reprimanded after Pearl Harbor who was later promoted to Rear Admiral to fight the Japanese. He composed the action war film Von Ryan's Express, starring Frank Sinatra and Trevor Howard, about an American POW who leads a group of mainly British prisoners to escape from the Germans in World War II. Jerry's second Academy Award nomination was for his score to A Patch of Blue, a romantic drama. In 1966, Jerry composed six movie scores, including Our Man Flint, The Trouble with Angels, Stagecoach, The Blue Max, Seconds, and The Sand Pebbles. One I can still clearly remember is the James Bond spoof, Our Man Flint, starring James Coburn as super spy Derek Flint, called in to save the world from bad weather eco-terrorism. Here is the main theme from Our Man Flint a jazzy and electric guitar jaunt. James Mason, Ursula Andress, and George Pappard is about a young German fighter ace in 1918 trying to win the award by the same name after 20 kills. Here is a track prelude to part two. Now tell me that this doesn't sound like an early precursor to Star Trek music to come from Jerry later.
Sand Pebbles, Steve McQueen plays a U.S. sailor on a gunboat called the USS San Pablo, assigned to patrol a tributary of the Yangtze River in the middle of an exploited and revolution-torn China in 1926. Here's the overture to that film, lyrical and emotional sounding, illustrating the many styles of Jerry Goldsmith. Jerry received another Academy Award nomination for The Sand Pebbles. The next year, 1967, Jerry once again scored four films. James Coburn was back as super spy Derek Flint, who takes on a cabal of beautiful women plotting to rule the world in In Like Flint. One of my favorite tracks from that soundtrack is Ladies Will Kindly Remove Their Hats. You know, I wish I had time to play it for you, but there is so much I can't squeeze into this podcast. Now, for us Trex and sci-fi fans, perhaps the first memorable sci-fi Goldsmith score was Planet of the Apes in 1968. It starred Charlton, take your stinking paws off me, you damn dirty ape, Heston, as astronaut George Taylor, Roddy McDowell as ape Cornelius, and Kim Hunter as Dr. Zira. Three astronauts come out of a deep hibernation to find their ship has crashed on an upside-down world where the apes rule and the humans are treated as lowly animals. In this film, Jerry showed a great deal of experimentation by composing completely in an avant-garde style. 
He used innovative techniques such as looping drums into an echoplex, like a tape-driven echo chamber, used the orchestra to imitate the grunting sound of apes, had horn players blow their horns without mouthpieces, and instructed the woodwind players to finger their keys without using any air. He also used steel mixing bowls and other objects to create percussive sounds. The score for Planet of the Apes was nominated for an Academy Award and was voted to be the number 18 film score on the American Film Institute's top 25 film scores. Here is the track title, The Search. In 1969, Jerry scored the soundtrack to the sci-fi movie, The Illustrated Man, starring Rod Serling and written by Ray Bradbury. A man's body is almost completely covered in tattoos. Each tattoo hides a futuristic story, which you can experience by just staring at it. In 1970, Jerry scored the war movie, Patton, by Francis Ford Coppola, and starring George C. Scott about the U.S. tank commander of World War II, showing his numerous faults and tendency toward insubordination. Jerry received another Academy Award nomination for Patton. Here is the main theme from Patton. In it you can hear a trumpet played back through, once again, an echoplex, 
representing George Patton's belief in reincarnation. Also in 1970, he scored yet another war film, Tora Tora Tora, about the Japanese aerial bombardment of Pearl Harbor and the American blunders that allowed it to happen. As a child, I remember being impressed by the amount of destruction the Japanese caused in such a short period of time and thinking, why did they park all those airplanes so close to each other? What are they thinking? In 1971, Jerry returned to the Planet of the Apes franchise by scoring Escape from the Planet of the Apes. Although productive during 1971 and 72, especially with TV movies, nothing great jumps out at you as Jerry entered a dry spell for big screen assignments. In 1973, he composed the theme music to the TV series Barnaby Jones, starring Buddy Epson as the milk-swilling geriatric private eye. In 1971, The Waltons started a nine-year run on television with Jerry's theme song. Of note, Alexander Courage of the original series theme music fame scored 155 episodes of The Walton, while Jerry is credited with eight episodes. And without further ado, here is The Waltons.
1973, Dustin Hoffman as Louise Dega and Steve McQueen as Henri Charrier starred in the Frank Schaffner film Papillon, which is French for butterfly, about the friendship between two men serving their prison sentence on the dreadful island of Devil's Island off the coast of French Guiana. The score earned Jerry another Academy Award nomination. Some of Jerry's most successful work has been in collaboration with director Frank Schaffner. Here you hear the track Free as the Wind. Jerry Goldsmith composed the music in 1974 for the six and one half hour TV miniseries QB7, written by Leon Uris. QB7 is a story about a Holocaust prison camp doctor now living in Britain who sues a novelist for making statements implicating the doctor in Nazi war crimes. Of the six primetime Emmys won by this series, Jerry won an Emmy for his music composition. Of interest is how Jerry approaches his scores. In this clip, he talks about his process of scoring. Take us a little through the process of writing a music score. Well, the first thing I have to do is see the picture because my emotional input doesn't come from the screenplay. I have to see it actualized and what the director brings to it and the actors bring to it and all that. So once I see the picture, then I will sit down with the director and We'll discuss what we want to do with the, or what he would like me to do with the music, and I'll tell him what I'd like to do with the music, and then we decide, hopefully we come together. In 1974, Jerry was given a great challenge of replacing the score to Chinatown when Philip Lambro's score was dropped. In spite of having only 10 days to compose and record the score, he quickly produced it with a mix of Eastern music and elements of jazz, earning yet another Academy Award nomination. In spite of losing to Nino Rota and Carmine Coppola for The Godfather Part II, Jerry's score has been voted as one of the greatest scores of all time and ranks number nine on the top 25 score on AFI's top American films. Here is the main theme from Chinatown.
The year 1975 saw Jerry's next great feature film was Sean Connery and Candace Bergen in The Wind and the Lion, a story that takes place in the beginning of the 20th century was an American woman abducted in Morocco by Berbers and about the diplomatic and military attempts to get her freed. Yes, Jerry once again received an Academy Award nomination for this Golden Age-style musical score in his mode of Lawrence of Arabia, but he lost to John Williams for his score to Jaws. In his score, Jerry relied upon a diverse ensemble, including Moroccan instruments and a large percussive section. sci-fi score from Jerry was for Logan's Run in 1976, starring Michael York as Sandman Logan and Rico's favorite Jenny Agutter as Jessica. The action takes place in 2274 when overpopulation is handled by having everyone over the age of 30 executed in a renewal ceremony. The score adheres to two distinct sound palettes. Strings, keyboards, and abstract electronics are the cues inside the city and full orchestra for outside the city. Hear Jerry's input on the use of synthesizers versus orchestras in this clip. I've been fascinated with electronics for 25 years, but as an adjunct to the orchestra, to me, it's a, it's a, it's an additional color on my palette. I mean, there are many things that over the years I've heard sounds and colors that I've heard in my mind, and I've been very difficult to try and translate that into acoustical instruments. And I guess I was thinking really in that spectrum of electronic sound. I think that a composer to use electronics should understand what they can do. I have these instruments here because when I write for them, I want to know what the sounds are, whether I make them or they come with the instrument. I want to know what it's going to sound like. So many times composers will just write down synthesizer and then they will get to the recording session and say, oh, well, give me a sound like something weird or something. Well, that's, that's a little strange. You have to have the idea in your head, at least I do. Finally, in 1976, Jerry was awarded his first and only Academy Award for Best Original Score for his music in the horror movie Omen. 
This film was the first use of a chorus in an avant-garde style. He earned an additional nomination for Best Original Song for Ave Santani, which you will hear now. went on to score two more feature films for the Omen franchise with Damien Omen 2 in 1978 and Omen 3 The Final Conflict in 1981. In 1978 the science fiction suspense film Coma by director Michael Crichton was released starring Michael Douglas, Rip Torn, and Genevieve Bujold about organ theft from patients who suddenly seem to have comas. Also in 1978, the sci-fi thriller Capricorn One was released. A NASA Mars mission won't work due to a faulty life support system and its funding is endangered. So why not just fake it just this once and keep it a secret? An all-star cast including John Berlin, Elliot Gould, O.J. Simpson, Karen Black, Telly Savalas, and Hal Holbrook. Here is the overture to Capricorn One. In 1978, Jerry provided scores to The Swarm about killer bees, The Boys in Brazil, Nazis trying to clone Adolf Hitler in Brazil, and in 1975, the comedy The Great Train Robbery, starring Sean Connery and Donald Sutherland, another Michael Crichton film. The Boys from Brazil garnered another Academy nomination, but not a win. Here is the overture to The Great Train Robbery. Thank you. 
then in 1979, one of our favorite sci-fi thrillers of all time came to the screen in Ridley Scott's Alien. This score featured an orchestra augmented by a shofar, a didgeridoo, steel drum, and a 16th century instrument called a serpent, while creating further alien sounds by filtering string pizzicati through an exaplex. Many of the instruments were used in such atypical ways as to be virtually unidentifiable. His score, however, was heavily edited during post-production and Goldsmith was required to write music for several scenes. The final score resulted in several pieces being moved, replaced, or cut entirely. Director Ridley Scott and editor Terry Rawlings also, without the consent of Goldsmith, purchased the rights to the main title from his 1962 film, Freud, which they used during the Acid Blood sequence. Despite the heavy edits and rewrites, Goldsmith's score to Alien earned him a Golden Globe nomination for Best Original Score. Here are some of Jerry's comments regarding the score for Alien. I remember when I first saw Alien, I was sitting in a projection room all by myself, and of course everything was much over length. I remember to this day the, the one scene where he was looking for his cat and it was in this dark chamber in the, in, on the ship and I remember this chain hanging down, water dripping and they hadn't cut it and it went on and on and I was absolutely terrified. Yeah, I, I kept saying, it's just a movie, it's just a movie and it, it really scared the shit out of me, to really be honest. I mean, I was terribly frightened with it. And, um, which is good because that helps... When I have to sit down and write the music for it. I like to go see a film, any film that I'm doing, I try to see it first as an audience and react as the audience. And here is Jerry's input about space as a great unknown, space as a mystery. I always think of space as being the great unknown and, and, and not as terrifying, but questioning. And so there's an air of romance about it. And, uh, that's why I like doing Star Trek because it's very romantic and it, it, it paints space that way instead of all the weird things and all that. And I guess I approached Alien that way. There was this air of mystery, but there was sort of a beauty to it and the unknown. And I thought, well, let me play the whole opening very romantically and very lyrically and then let the shock come as the, the story evolves. Not, in other words, don't give it away in the main title. So... I wrote this very nice main title. It was this sort of mystery, but it was, it was a lyrical mystery. And now let's enjoy the end title from Alien.
Mercury ended 1979 and the decade with a score considered by many to be one of its most widely recognized and celebrated scores, Star Trek The Motion Picture. Did you know that Gene Roddenberry had originally chosen Jerry to be his composer of choice for the original Star Trek series pilot, The Cage, back in the 1960s? Unfortunately for us, Jerry was unavailable due to scheduling conflicts. Fortunately for us, Jerry later became the most celebrated of Star Trek composers. His initial main theme was not well received by the filmmakers, with director Robert Wise stating, It sounds like sailing ships. Though somewhat irked by its rejection, Goldsmith, the consummate professional that he was, consented to rework his initial idea and finally arrived at the majestic Star Trek theme, which was ultimately used. The film soundtrack also provided a debut for Craig Huxley's Blaster Beam, an electronic instrument 12 to 15 feet long. The blaster had steel wires connected to amplifiers fitted to the main piece of aluminum and was played with an artillery shell. Goldsmith heard it and immediately decided to use it for V'ger's cues. His score for the motion picture earned him nominations for the Academy Awards and Golden Globes. Goldsmith would later compose the scores for Star Trek V The Final Frontier in 89, Star Trek First Contact in 96, Star Trek Insurrection in 98, and Star Trek Nemesis in 2002, as well as a theme to the television series Star Trek Voyager in 95. In addition, his theme for the motion picture was arranged by Dennis Carthy and reused as the theme for Star Trek The Next Generation in 1987. Wow! And what is really great is that Jerry truly understood the message of Star Trek and was truly fond of his work for Trek. Let's listen to Jerry talk about Star Trek. Is there something about the Star Trek franchise that interests you? Why do you keep, keep doing this? Well, I love doing Star Trek. I mean, it's, it's sort of a broad, romantic canvas, and, you know, it, it's sort of bigger. You know, Star Trek is very operatic as far as I'm concerned. It's one of the few things that is bigger than life. And the whole story is, you know, about a better world, a peaceful world, a better life. And the whole moral of it is really... It's quite uplifting, and and there's that quality in the music, and it, it, they're just fun to do. And now let's listen to the main theme to one of Jerry Goldsmith's most celebrated compositions.
decade of the 1970s was Jerry's most productive, with about 73 entries in the IMDb. He had about 60 entries for the 1960s, and now in his prime he was entering the 1980s, where the IMDb shows 39 entries, about one-third less output in order to take something of a break. However, what quality? In 1981 he started out with a little-known feature called The Salamander, However, that was followed by Omen 3, The Final Conflict, and then The Masada, TV miniseries, where he scored the music for the first four hours and the main theme. The Masada, starring Peter O'Toole, takes place after the destruction of the Second Temple, where 900 Jewish zealots hold out against a 5,000-man Roman army on top of the mountaintop fortress of Masada. Here is Jerry's exciting theme. Increasingly, Jerry found himself doing scores for science fiction and fantasy. In 1981, he scored the space western Outland, where Sean Connery plays a police marshal stationed at a remote mining colony on Io, a moon of Jupiter, where he uncovers a drug smuggling conspiracy that only he can solve since the population is too afraid to help. After Disney's Night Crossing, Jerry's next big film was the Steven Spielberg-produced fantasy Poltergeist. He had another Academy Award nomination, only to lose to John Williams' E.T., The Extraterrestrials. Now let's listen to Jerry talk about Poltergeist. It's a love story. The story about a family who have lost their daughter to strange spirits and the sacrifices that they're going through to bring that child back and the fact that the husband could have lost his wife and the terror the fear, you know, is one of those poignant moments in, in the picture when they embrace before she's going to enter this unknown area to get their child. And I am sure you'll remember this gentle lullaby to Carol Ann, the child protagonist.
Jerry returned later in 1986 to score Poltergeist 2, The Other Side, the first of two sequels. Up next for Jerry was The Secret of NIMH, or NIM, an animated fantasy film about a field mouse that must seek the aid of a colony of superintelligent rats. I will play just a short portion of the track, Flying Dreams. I had to look it up, but NIM stands for National Institute of Mental Health. Did you remember that? This next film of note was the first of the classic action Rambo franchise, with First Blood, starring Sylvester Stallone in 1982. A Vietnam veteran finds he must use his combat skills against a small-town sheriff that arrests and abuses him without reasonable cause. As he had done for other franchises, Jerry returned to compose the score for Rambo First Blood Part 2 in 1985 and Rambo 3 in 1988. Here's a track from Rambo 2 containing the main theme. After scoring Psycho 2 in 1983, 
Jerry Neck provided the score to Twilight Zone, the movie. Recall that Jerry scored for some of the 1960s TV series episodes of The Twilight Zone some 20 plus years earlier. Here is end title to the movie. Next in line was the war drama Under Fire, also in 1983, about three journalists in a 1979 romantic triangle involved in political intrigue during the last days of the corrupt Somoza regime in Nicaragua. Throughout the 1980s, Jerry's scores were featuring more and more synthetic elements. However, he never allowed these elements to take over his music, and he maintained the orchestral. He received another nod from the Academy Award with a nomination for Under Fire. The year 1984 saw the arrival of the first of the two Gremlins movies Jerry scored. Director Chris Columbus brought us a story about a boy who inadvertently breaks three important rules concerning his new pet, unleashing a horde of malevolently mischievous monsters on a small town. Here I will play part of the ragtime theme music from a Gremlin suite.
also out in 1984 was the science fiction fantasy film Supergirl, starring Faye Dunaway, Helen Slater, and Peter O'Toole. Not well rated as a movie, I found the music track to be only average, and we'll move on to Baby, Secret of the Lost Legend, which debuted in 1985. Here's part of the track, Baby's Alive and Untitles. Also in 1985, the film Explorers with Ethan Hawke and River Phoenix was released. You might remember that Ben Crandall, an alien-obsessed kid, dreams of a circuit board, which he and his friends Wolfgang and Darren set up, thereby creating their spaceship they call the Thunder Road, out of an abandoned carnival ride, which they then take out into space to meet some darn funny-looking aliens who just happen to love Earth television series. Sorry, I don't have a track for Explorers, although you can listen to a 15-minute suite on YouTube. 1985 continued with the score to the fantasy adventure Legend, directed by Ridley Scott and starring Tom Cruise, about a young man who must stop the Lord of Darkness from destroying daylight and marrying the woman he loves. Next were the scores for King Solomon's Mines and 1986 Link and Poltergeist 2. During his career, Jerry scored several sports movie soundtracks, and in 1986 he brought us Hoosiers, with Gene Hackman and Dennis Hopper as a coach with a checkered past, 
and local town drunk that trained a small high school basketball team to be a top contender for a championship. This soundtrack generated another Academy Award nomination for Jerry. Here is the track, Welcome to Hickory. Next year, 1987, saw Dennis McCarthy, another great Star Trek composer, rearrange Jerry's Star Trek The Motion Picture theme for Star Trek The Next Generation TV series. Noteworthy soundtracks for the balance of the 80s include Extreme Prejudice in 87, the sci-fi adventure Inner Space in 1987, the medieval adventure Lionheart in 87, the comedy Rent-A-Cop in 88, Rambo 3 in 88, Criminal Law in 88, the comedy The Burbs in 89, the science fiction horror Leviathan in 1989, Warlock in 1989, and then finally, Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Kirk and Spock are back to deal with Mr. Spock's half-brother, who hijacks the Enterprise to search for a god. 
With no further delay, let's listen to the end credits to The Final Frontier. Now we enter into the 1990s. Jerry's output increased a bit more with 45 entries in the IMDb. 
The year started with a romance thriller starring Sean Connery in The Russia House, with a critically acclaimed score, followed by Gremlins 2, The New Batch, where Jerry made a brief cameo appearance as a yogurt customer. In all, Jerry would appear three times in the movies, also including as a piano player in the war movie In Harm's Way, and as a man in a telephone booth in Gremlins. Next in line was the sci-fi classic film Total Recall, directed by Paul Verhoeven, with Arnold Schwarzenegger as the dual personality of Douglas Quaid, Hauser Super Spy, Sharon Stone as Laurie, Michael Ironside as Richter, and Ronnie Cox as Velos Cohagen. Jerry personally considered the score to Total Recall to be one of his personal bests. His mammoth score is nothing short of a symphony and remains the defining moment in action film scoring and is now regarded as a classic of the genre. Now let's listen to The Dream. I could easily play three or four tracks from that album, some of my personal favorites. Five scores later, Jerry was composing music to Medicine Man, an adventure romance starring Sean Connery as an eccentric scientist working for a large drug company on a research project in the Amazon jungle. In that movie, Sean Connery wore his hair with a white ponytail, 
The story goes that Sean copied Goldsmith's signature pony hairstyle for the character of Robert Campbell, with Jerry Goldsmith credited as hair designer in the final credits. Next was the erotic thriller Basic Instinct, another Paul Verhoeven-directed film in 1992, with another Academy Award nomination. Here is the haunting main theme. Later in 1993, Jerry scored the thriller The Vanishing, starring Jeff Bridges and Kiefer Sutherland, followed by the family comedy Dennis the Menace. Next came another sports feature film, Rudy, with Sean Astin playing a football player who was told he was too small to ever play for Notre Dame, but in real life did manage to get into the last game of his senior year for several plays and then be carried off the field by his fellow team members. Even today, you can hear the music used for movie trailers and on sports shows. See if you don't recognize this track called Tryouts.
Six scores later, Jerry scored The Shadow in 1994. Surprisingly, Alec Baldwin is cast as Lamont Cranston, a.k.a. The Shadow. It's the 1930s in New York City, and The Shadow has to battle his nemesis, Shawan Khan, who is building an atomic bomb. with the scores for the action adventure The River Wild in 1994. The comedy romance IQ with Walter Matthau playing Albert Einstein trying to help a young man get his niece's attention. And Michael Crichton's not so well received Congo in 1995. Once again Sean Connery was graced with Jerry's music in the fantasy adventure film First Night where Lancelot falls in love with Genevieve who is due to marry King Arthur. Although not nominated for any awards, I've always felt this score was underappreciated. Here's one of my favorite tracks called Arthur's Farewell.
Also in 1995, the Star Trek Voyager television series brought a new Star Trek theme to the forefront. One year later, in 1996, Star Trek First Contact was composed by Jerry Goldsmith. Here's the track, Welcome Aboard. Later in 1996, Goldsmith provided one of his few scores based on Africa in The Ghost and the Darkness. 
starring Michael Douglas and Val Kilmer. Set in 1898 and based upon a true story, the film is about two lions called The Ghost and the Darkness that killed 130 people over a nine-month period. In 1997, the action film Air Force One, with Harrison Ford playing President Marshall, provided great entertainment as hijackers have taken over Air Force One. However, as an ex-soldier, the President plans to fight back. This score was completed in only 12 days with the assistance of composer Joel McNeely. The track The Parachute provides a great presidential warrior heroic track to the film. Let's listen.
In prior years, Jerry had proven he could provide neo-noir, jazzy, percussive film music, and he did just that with the scores of the police thriller L.A. Confidential in 1997, garnering yet another Academy Award nomination. An all-star cast of Kevin Spacey, Russell Crowe, Guy Pearce, Kim Basinger, Danny DeVito, James Cromwell, and Davis Stratham continues to please to this day. In 1998, Jerry provided the score to the sci-fi horror Deep Rising, about a group of heavily armed hijackers who board a luxury ocean liner to loot it, only to have to do battle with large tentacle man-eating sea creatures that have hijacked them. The scores to U.S. Marshals with Tommy Lee Jones and Wesley Snipes and Small Soldiers followed. Disney's animated adventure Mulan was next about a Chinese maiden that secretly takes the place of her father in the army in order to save him from certain death, becoming a great hero in the process. Mulan was the 18th and last Academy Award nomination Jerry was to receive. Here is part of the suite from Mulan. Jerry's last work for 1998 included his next Star Trek score was Star Trek Insurrection, directed by Jonathan Frakes. When the crew of the Enterprise learn of a Federation plot against the inhabitants of a unique planet where you don't grow old, Captain Picard begins an open rebellion. My favorite track from the film is titled Baku Village.
the first of the Mummy franchise movies arrived in 1999. Starring Brendan Fraser as an American serving in the French Foreign Legion on an archaeological dig at the ancient city of Hamunaptra, accidentally awaking a mummy. The fantasy horror movie The Haunting followed with Liam Neeson and Catherine Zeta-Jones telling us that some houses are just born bad. The financial success the film, however, has a relatively low film approval rating. Jerry's next film score was for The Thirteenth Warrior, yet another Michael Crichton action-adventure story. The Sword Maker is my favorite track. Between 2000 and 2003, Jerry provided a seemingly few seven scores. Indicative of his age, he was now over 70, and his battle was cancer. In 2000, he delivered the sci-fi thriller score to Hollow Man, an invisible man story about how scientists discover how to make people invisible. Unfortunately, the first subject becomes insane and wants to kill them. Jerry was working with Paul Verhoeven once again as director. Let's let Jerry talk about the value of working with the same director more than once. Is it important for a composer to work with the same director time and time again? Does that help? Oh, I think it, it, it's very important. I've often said that when you, a composer works with a director for the first time, it's like a boy and girl going out for their first date. and Everybody wants to be very polite and make sure they don't hurt anybody's feelings and they, you know they say the right thing and do the right thing and after you you know you've worked a couple times with a director you you feel freer you know him you say well I don't like that or he'll feel well I don't like that or something you'd be more honest with 
with each other. You've had an incredibly prolific career. I mean, I'm, I'm in awe of when I read your credits. You've, many years you uh, scored as many as nine films, and the next year you would do nine more and everything like that. Do you ever run out of ideas? Oh, I think that any creative person is going to sit down and think, I've got no more ideas. And the one thing about all of us, whether we're writers or directors or whatever we are that work in the film industry, we've got that clock ticking and that schedule. And, you, you know, you get, I can't think of anything you do, and you finally say to yourself, you're a professional, you've got a, a technique, just do it. In 2002, Jerry provided the score to The Sum of All Fears, starring Ben Affleck as CIA analyst Jack Ryan, who must thwart plans of a terrorist faction that is trying to induce a catastrophic conflict between the U.S. and Russia's newly elected president by detonating a nuclear weapon at a football game in Baltimore. Also in 2002, Jerry provided his final Star Trek movie score was Star Trek Nemesis. Captain Picard, Will Riker, Data, and the Enterprise crew must save Earth from a Romulan sneak attack while being diverted to Romulus for a supposed truce negotiation.
Perry's final theatrical score, composed while his health was declining, was the music for Looney Tunes Back in Action in 2003. He did produce one final score for the science fiction film Timeline, but his score was rejected due to a complicated post-production process. It was later released on CD in 2004, not long after his death, and quickly sold out and is now a sought-after rarity among soundtrack collectors. Let me speak briefly about Jerry's personal life. Jerry Goldsmith was married twice. His first marriage to Sharon Hennigan lasted 20 years, ending in divorce in 1970. His second marriage in 1972 to Carol Heather lasted 32 years until his death on July 21, 2004, in his home in Beverly Hills. Jerry had five children, including Joel Goldsmith of Stargate SGI fame, who unfortunately had an untimely death due to health issues just last year in 2012. So what is Jerry Goldsmith's legacy? He has often been considered one of the most innovative and influential composers in film music. Two of his films, Planet of the Apes in 1968 and Chinatown 1974, are listed as number 9 and number 18, respectively, on the American film industry's list of top 25 film scores. He is only one of five composers to have more than one score on that list. The others are Elmer Bernstein, Bernard Herrmann, Max Steiner, and John Williams. Rare company. Let me provide one last clip providing Jerry's expression of feeling about creating a film score. I look at a film as an audience would. I respond, I feel it sincerely, I write it down. And what I write down is an expression of my feelings in musical terms. I all of a sudden connect emotionally with the scene. And then I'm going to translate my emotions into a piece of music. When they come to me, I've got to get it done as fast as I can. I don't want to lose it. When it's all done, you feel, oh, I put that last piece in there, and it works. I, for one, am going to miss not hearing new Jerry Goldsmith scores in the future. He was one of a kind. Well, I hope you enjoyed this tribute to Jerry Goldsmith. While I covered most of his important works, I certainly didn't come close to covering most of his music. Next week, Rico will be back in the Treks and Sci-Fi podcast director's chair with a DS9 20th anniversary show starring Chris and Rico. As a treat, I'm going to end this music tribute to Jerry Goldsmith with a track from his final rejected score to Timeline. The title of this track is Ambushed, and thanks for listening.